June the 14th, 2015, lecture discussion number 200. Can you believe it? It's been 200 now on the book of Romans. So if you weren't here for the first 199, today might be a little confusing for you. I should begin by informing the vast internet audience uh, that it is very hot here in Anchorage. Of course, uh, very hot is a relative term. We have to define it. It's supposed to get uh, 80 degrees. 80 degrees is very hot to us. We're now all miserable. Bill the cow said that he went in the crawl space last night just to get out of the heat, didn't he? Now, is that crazy? <laughs> That's what he did. It's too hot to sleep, and we can't go outside in this heat. And everyone is irritable and complaining and longing for snow and darkness, which should come sometime in July. So, not a problem. <laughs> Bonnie just just, just <laughs> did not do uh, respectful things to me at that point. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought I should mention our heat wave. As so many of you out there in the Internet world write to say you couldn't live here, but you could. You would just adapt. You'd become like us, which is our diabolical plan. Pinky. Right? Yeah, enough of that. When we last gathered here at Cliffside last week, I made some pretty bold, one-eyed, fat man assertions with respect to Luke 17:32, where God himself, this is God himself, Jesus Christ is God himself, creator God. Nothing has been created that he has not created. He's the Lord God Almighty. And he says, remember Lot's wife. So, What's that mean? Naturally, it's a direct order from Jesus Christ, the second person of the God triune. And it's intended for a specific group of someones. In other words, he gives a direct order to somebody. And thus it behooves us to determine if we are the someones to whom he, his directive is given. Or is it to someone else, not us? So uh, today we will be, uh, we shall be behooving. And as you know, behoove is a verb. Now, once we complete our behooving, it is entirely appropriate to describe ourselves as having behooved. So, that to repeat, that is our first task. To ascertain the specific people or the specific ones to whom God's command is addressed. And once having accomplished such, uh, we will be by necessity also identifying the time at which it occurs. So, remember Lot's wife. I need to know who is he saying it to? Who are the ones? Is it you? Is it me? Are we the ones supposed to remember Lot's wife? Or are we Lot's wife, for example? So, who and then when? What time will it be that the remembering of Lot's wife occurs. When is it applicable? Who and when are first considerations. However, it's also of primary importance to understand what exactly Lot's, remember Lot's wife means. And I think that's a big problem in the church today. I'm going to submit to you all through the next couple of weeks that uh, understanding what remember Lot's wife means is almost completely lost. I've been talking to quite a few, few of you. I have uh, a pretty large library of commentators and different biblical uh, uh, resources, of course, and um, 
um, it's bereft. People run from this subject. Men and women who know many things about the Bible do not take on Luke 17.32. So that means what? That's great news. That means something really cool is hidden here, and we need to try to find out what it is. So what exactly does remember Lot's wife mean? And if we assume or we assign the incorrect meaning of Christ's words here, God's words, well, we're going to careen into the ditch, right? And I made the point last week that, there, that the ten lepers, prior to him talking about Lot's wife, or if you wish to, the introduction to him, God talking about Lot's wife in 1732 of Luke, is the healing of the ten lepers, where nine are, are, they walk off and leave him, and one comes back, and that, of course, is a Gentile, a Samaritan. And so we should expect that the healing of the ten lepers will help us understand what remember Lot's wife means. They'll have a connective impact, those ten lepers will, on the, on the discussion of Lot's wife. Also, there is a relationship to Matthew 24. So we have Luke 17:32, and we have Matthew 24. What, should, what is it exactly? Make sure I don't make a mistake here. Uh, 36 through 44. So Luke 17, uh, 32 through 37, if you want to start with Lot's wife. But actually, you go all the way, you go back quite a few verses ahead of that in Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Those you cannot understand Luke 17 without Matthew 24. And so we're going to be investigating Matthew 24 at, at, at length in order to make sure that we make no mistakes in Luke 17. And since I bring this all up within the context of the taking of the bride of Christ, remember, I have been saying for weeks now, the sign of the taken bride. Who is the sign for? Who even knows the sign happened? That's how we get into this discussion and remember Lot's wife. What exactly is the sign of the taken bride and how does it re- reflect onto Lot's wife? Um, and so that's uh, the context. And it's going to require that we correctly interpret the taking that Christ describes now in Luke 17, 32 through 37. In order to do all of this, we must know what day it is. I know it sounds like the camel commercial for the insurance company, right? But it's a good question. What day is this? Which is the day when the Son of Man is revealed? And and we begin this process, as you know, we began this process, as you know, last Sunday, but we are remaining quite far from a decisive resolution to all of these mysteries. And now, yes, I am well aware that the majority of scholars see Lot's wife in a negative light. In other words, the majority of scholars uh, look at Lot's wife and they declare her to be a loser. I have such a commentary. Hendrickson, William Hendrickson, he's long gone, so he now knows the truth. But he actually says in his commentary on Luke 17:32 that Lot's life is a Lot's wife is a loser. What he says that is quite representative. That is very common. That's the view that overwhelms, frankly. And my response to this position is, why are you so certain of this? Because they are very sure that she has been condemned for all eternity. For what? What condemned her? Running toward Sodom. 
That condemns her? So what exactly, why exactly is that condemnation? Why would she so uniformly, almost uniformly, almost exclusively labeled a loser, so to speak? Again, remember this. Who got her out of Sodom? I think this is the key to all of this, and so I keep repeating it. She was taken out of Sodom by the hand. She had an angel of Christ, of God, holding her by the hand. How good a shape is she in right there? That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Now, Christ himself was present at Sodom. He's the one that blew it up. He's God. He blew it up. He's nearby. Did the angels bring Lot and his wife towards Christ and his children? How near did they get? Did they see him? Abraham saw him. The pre-incarnate Christ. Have you noticed, by the way, the similarity uh, uh, to the Israelites demanding to return to Egypt and Lot's wife attempting to run back into a doomed city. Did you notice that? Much like a horse having been led to safety racing back into a burning barn. Raises some obvious questions, doesn't it? Why is it that Christ uses Lot's wife in Luke 17? Why is it that that she's the one to be remembered. Why didn't Christ say, hey, remember the Israelites? Remember, they were they wanted to go back to Egypt. By the way, how many of the Israelites made it back to Egypt? They all wanted to go back except who? Moses, Aaron, and who else? Joshua, Caleb. Everybody else wanted to go back. Did they make it back? No. Did Lot's wife make it back to Sodom? No. Are all of them doomed? Eternal condemnation for wanting to run back into a burning barn. Is that, what, is, that, is that the view? But again, why did Christ use Lot's wife as a symbol? What about her is to be remembered? Is it the running back towards Sodom? Or is it the being taken out of Sodom by the hand of angels? Her being taken or her motive? What's her motive for wanting to go back to Sodom? What's she after? Her TV set? Car? Got to have my car? I know I'm being silly, but I think the position is very difficult to defend. So what, what is to be remembered about Lot's wife? What is God telling us to remember about her? Her being taken out by the hand or motive for attempting to return or the fact that she was buried in salt? Why salt, by the way? Could have buried her in sulfur. He didn't. He bur- she's buried in salt. He says she's buried completely covered in salt. What's salt in the Bible? Why didn't Christ say to those who, were, who, witness, who will witness the sign of Lot's wife, remember the Israelites? He doesn't. He says Lot's wife. They weren't allowed to reach Egypt. She wasn't allowed to reach Sodom. And I hope you can see the connectivity between the two cases. I began the case that Lot's wife must be considered in totality last week. In other words, I'm saying you can't just focus on her death. 
And you can't focus on the motive of her return. You have to focus also on her being taken out by the hand. So I have three things about Lot's wife that I have to always consider. Being taken, her motive to return, and her burial in salt. Casting aside her being taken from Sodom by the hand, or and or Israel being bore on the uh, on eagles uh, eagles bore on eagles wings. Exodus 19:4. How does Egypt come out of? I'm sorry, gosh, medicine. I might be to the point in my life where I need three or four cans of medicine per lecture now to avoid these kinds of mistakes. How did Christ take Israel out of Egypt? How does he describe it? Exodus 19.4, he takes them out on the, uh, bore on eagles' wings, taken out of Egypt on the, on the wings of eagles. How about the woman in Revelation 12.13.14? She's given two wings of a great eagle. Lot's wife is taken by the hand. Angels take her by the hand. In other words, there's more to remember uh, about Lot's wife. There is more to remember Lot's wife that the words that God himself spoke than is commonly assumed. Much, much more. I made the comment to Supper Dave earlier. I find it relatively consistent that those people who have a Incorrect view of the deity of Christ often have very poor opinions of what Christ says in Scripture. They think Christ, they don't realize that He's God very often, and so when He says something, they assume that it's simple. It's never simple. Remember, lots of life will take you a lifetime to figure out what it means. If you think to yourself, I've got this handled, you're way, way behind. And so, yes, I'm going to address as much of it as I can. I'm going to address the issues of the possessions and the meanings of savings one life and losing one life that's in Luke 17. And I'm going to attach it to remember Lot's wife uh, um, as well. And what does it mean to save his life or to lose his life? And is By the way, when you save your life or you lose your life, is it talking about spiritual life in that passage? Or is it talking about physical life? Or is it talking about both? Is the subject of remember Lot's wife, is that about your individual salvation? How many times is it about your individual salvation, by the way? I've asked that question a lot over the years. How many times has it been about your individual salvation? How many times is the Bible about you? That's a better thing. How much, how, here, let me diverse, diverge here a second. I was speaking to someone the other day. And I said there's four levels of human development, essentially. Not really. We were taught three back in my rudimentary philosophy classes, but it's popular to say four. And recently it was somewhere that uh, this person read it and a gentleman described it as four. But essentially the first level of human development, our personal development, is self-focus, either uh, from a sense of narcissism. I make the joke that every 13, 14-year-old girl, if you whisper and look at her, she will assume that you were talking about her. Okay? That's just the nature of teenage kids. It's 
but you should outgrow that self-focus that everything is about me. You should be well beyond that. The uh, the complement to that, uh, that, that which is attached to self-focus or narcissism, if you will, is uh, this desire for physical things, for stuff. So you want physical items, you want as much stuff as you can get. It's the old adage, he who dies with the most toys is dead. Probably my favorite saying. You want, you want stuff and you want everything to be about you. You walk into a room, you want mirrors on the ceilings and mirrors on the walls and all of them reflecting you. That's the first level of development. The second level, again, that's attached to that is the stuff that you can accumulate. You love your stuff. It is absolutely clear that any culture, any society where the majority of people are stuck in those first two levels is doomed. That culture will not survive. The third, of course, is servanthood. is to notice those around you and what is needed. You know what percentage of people can look at others and determine that what is needed and without looking and thinking of themselves first? It's about 6%. It's very small in this country. We are... We are the, one of the lowest, I say this all the time, we got kids that can't add, subtract, multiply, and divide. We're behind the world in mathematics now. But we are very high in self-focusing. We like ourselves a lot. And we think about ourselves a lot. We do not think about others. What does the Bible say for us to do? What's our primary role? It's to witness. What is witnessing? Thinking about others. And the last one is a spiritual awareness, understanding who Christ is, frankly. Those who do not understand Christ, the ones that are trapped in the first two levels of development, tend to be the, the most prominent Bible teachers today, unfortunately. And so all of their concepts I am questioning right off the bat. Okay, so there's a great number... Uh, of, of those guys. And I should mention this, one last thing before we reread uh, Luke 17. First off, do not think that Luke 17 is about you. That will be helpful. One more thing. Remember at the very end of it, he talks about vultures and eagles and bodies, right? There's a large majority, not a majority, a great number, a large group of, of commentators who think the eagles of Luke 17:37 are the Romans, the army of the Antichrist. So keep that in mind as well. That position is out there, and, and some of you asked me about it last week. So, let's go read the text again. We'll start at verse 20. It won't take long. And we'll try to understand this very, very mysterious passage. So, uh, Luke 17:20. Now, when he, Jesus Christ was demanded by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you, or in your midst, or in your, within your reach. I am God. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. 
For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. So we learn something right off the bat. The Son of Man has a day. And he has days. But first, he must suffer many things. What are the many things that causes God to suffer? What causes, what are many things? Does God suffer when you beat him? Does he suffer when those whom he have created reject him? But first he must suffer many things and be rejected. See how those are tied together? By this generation. And it was, and as it was, this is Christ talking now. So here is God telling us something so incredible, we hardly ever understand anything he says. So go into it recognizing that about ourselves. And as it was in the days of Noah. Why not the days of Adam? Why not the days of of the judges? Why not the days of David? No. Why not the days of Jonah? Why not the days of Job? Noah. What's the question now? Why did he pick Noah? And as it was in the days of Noah, and this is God doing it. How smart is he? He's really smart. Duh. And it was in the days of Noah, and so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. What does destroyed mean? Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. So what do we now know? There's something about Noah and there's something about Lot we need to figure out. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. Now, isn't that interesting? That's a lot of information there. A lot different than Noah, wouldn't you say, except for ate and drank. Anyway, we'll get to that. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, so I have the day that Noah entered the ark and the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. How does Christ know that? He's God. He was there. He's the one that did it. Keep that in mind. This isn't somebody talking about something that happened. This is the one that actually was there and destroyed Sodom. Why did he destroy Sodom? Because the evil was so incredible, way beyond anything we have ever seen in our lifetimes or any lifetime. The evil was astonishing. What were they really doing in Sodom? As you know, I've done that lecture many times. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the day that Noah entered the ark, the day that Lot left Sodom, and who took him out? Christ himself, the angels of Christ took him out. That will be the same as somehow the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What does it mean when Christ is revealed? In that day, he goes on to tell us, he who is on the housetop, and his possessions are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. 
Now we've learned something about Lot's wife. Because he says immediately, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be grinding together, the one will be taken, and the other left. Two will be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered. They answered? Christ just talks to his disciples. He tells them all of this stuff, and they answered, was there a question in there that we missed? There, are they answering the question? And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? In other words, where, where are they going to be taken? Or where are they going to be left? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the vultures or the eagles, we'll discuss that in the, day, the weeks to come, will be gathered together. Okay? So to repeat some of that. Why Noah... Why Lot? Why Lot's wife? This is God again. Lot certainly was not a man of great spiritual character. Read the story. He had to be dragged out of Sodom. He said, hey, I can't walk that far. Let me go over here. Almost kicking and screaming, he had to be dragged out. And Noah was an uncontaminated man. That speaks to his physical status, not to his righteousness. He was uncontaminated. But he likewise had his issues. Don't build Noah and Lot into men of unimpeachable character and then turn right around and condemn Lot's wife. Obviously, that can't be logically defended. I submit that once again, this is a triad. Noah, Lot, Lot's wife. or We'll start calling her L.W., The three of them are placed together because they form, if you wish to think of it that way, a three-legged stool, if you will. Each one of these pieces fits and adds to the other. The mistake with Lot's wife is to try to separate her out as somehow not connected to Noah and Lot. One more time, God is the one putting this together. And I've long been amazed at those who are intent on declaring Lot's wife as an example of someone whom God condemned, based on what evidence in the text. Did Christ know that when he said, remember Lot's wife, that the overwhelming majority would all automatically assume that Lot's wife is doomed for all eternity? Did he know that? Of course he did. He's God. Why are they so eager to do that? I know why. I do know why. It makes money. Isn't that always the answer? Probably. As you know, those who believe that our salvation is tenuous, in other words, our salvation is constantly at risk based on our works, those who think that, who believe that our salvation can be lost at any time based on how we are behaving or what we are doing. Those are the ones that point to Lot's wife as incontrovertible evidence that one's salvation is unstable. They want to take that verse 1732 of Luke and said that's evidence that you can lose your salvation 
Because Christ is saying, you turn back, I kill you. Is that what God says? What are you saying about the character of Christ when you say that's what's being taught there? As we know, it can't be true. That can't be true. Your salvation cannot be lost. Your salvation is assured. We cannot lose our salvation. It is impossible for you to lose your salvation. Anyone who says otherwise is deeply mistaken in horrible error or has some hidden agenda to control you and make money off of it. Again, it's impossible to lose your salvation. Lot's wife, therefore, is not an example of forfeiture of salvation. So if you're reading that, thinking that's somehow about my individual salvation, there is... It is not. There is no such example of someone losing their salvation in Scripture. So don't even think that that's possible. There isn't one. Now, so when we eliminate that, get it off the table, it remains for us to then refocus on the alternatives. And we have additional information. So let's sift through it again. How's my time? Good. Ah. Let's try it one more time. See if we can figure out what's going on here. I'm going to reread 31 through 37. In that day, he who is on the housetop. So there's a day when a guy is on a housetop. And his possessions are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away, the possessions. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I want to know why remember Lot's wife is put in that spot. I will tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is there, the vultures, the eagles will be gathered together. Okay. List makers going to list, right? In that day. Now, let me get rid of this too. Make us a list. In that day, obvious question. You can yell at me at this part. What day is he talking about? What day is this? In that day, he who is on the housetop, he's on the roof. Okay? Who's on the roof in that day? He's got possessions in the house. What are those possessions? One in the field. Or there's somebody in the field now. What's he doing in the field? By the way, what are they doing on the roof? What day is it? Don't turn back.
And then we have, whoops, did I, it should be E, sorry, F. And then right here, and I'm going to do this with it, remember Lot's wife. And I ask, why is it right there? Did God put it there knowing that he put it there? Duh. Of course he did. Whoever seeks to save his life save his life from what? Is there an immediate threat? What what is the immediate threat? Is somebody coming to kill him? He's on his roof. He's got to save his life. From who? From what? Why? Whoever seeks to save his life We'll lose it. What does that mean? Whoever loses his wife will preserve it. What does that mean? In that night, now I've got a night. I used to, I had a day, now I've got a night. Is this, by the way, the night of that day, or is it a different night of a different day? I have two in a bed. One is taken. One taken. One left. Which one was taken? Why? Based on what? Is this arbitrary? Is it arbitrary that one is taken and one is left? Is it capricious? Is it a flip of the coin? Of course not. So what is upon what basis is one taken and one left? I have two grinding. It's letter M for those of you following along on the internet. In N I have again one taken, one left. Same thing. One, what? Do you think that one of them is not working as hard as the other one? Okay, you're not grinding enough meal, so, uh, you know, you're, you're out of here. Do they know each other? Do the two people in the bed know each other? Do the two people who are grinding together know each other? And then they ask, where, Lord? And he says, wherever the body is. Now, make no mistake. There is, this is not a simple passage. There is no such thing as a simple passage in the Bible. All the scripture has these characteristics. Some of the stuff you can get on the surface, you don't have to work too hard. Some of it requires that you sift through the sand, if you will, or through the flour to find out what you need. The rest you're going to have to dig for it. Luke 17 is a passage that is mostly long hours of deep excavation. If you try to approach this quickly, forget it. You're wasting your time. Bring a lunch, bring dinner, bring breakfast, build a house, plan to stay. There is so much information here that it is astonishing. This is God himself trying to teach us something about a day that isn't a good day.
Okay, once again, what do we know that we know? That would be the known knowns, with all respect to Donald Rumsfeld. What do we know that we do not know? That would be the known unknowns. And what do we not know that we don't know? That's the unknown unknowns. And obviously, we don't know what we don't know, but we do know that we don't know what we don't know. Does that make sense? Good. That's, a, that's my new Cliffside t-shirt, right? We know that the days of Noah and the days of Lot have something to bear on this very mysterious passage, these words of Christ. So we have two directions immediately to choose from. So you get to choose. Do you choose the days of Noah or do you choose the days of Lot? That's your choice. See, the implications are going to be significant immediately, whichever one you choose. You can choose that Noah's days and Lot's days are similar days. In other words, it's a repetition of the same situation. Sameness, God repeating himself. He's repeating himself because you didn't get it the first time. Also note, there's a day of Noah and a day of Lot as well as days. So note that. Noah entered and Lot went out. That's your choice. Those are the same thing. Choice two, Noah's day is a different day completely. It's totally distinct from Lot's day. You can choose that. That, by the way, will have implications on who this guy on the roof is and what, remember, Lot's wife is and why it's where it is. Choice two again. Noah's day is completely different from Lot's day, distinct. And God, Jesus Christ, is in effect giving us two disparate events, two unique, distinct days. There's some minor semblances, if you will. The ate and the drank are repeated. So I have eating and drinking. That's repeated. But the emphasis is really on the divergence. The marrying, the giving in marriage, in contrast, the buying, selling, planting, and building. I have completely different things there. If they are a repetition of the same exact situation with additive information, then we move in one direction. Through, Lot, uh, through Luke 17. If, however, the days, again, are unique events, then we have a different path. Choice two. Obviously, I've already made the case that, uh, for my sake, that Lot's wife, taken by the hand by the angels of Christ, during, while Christ is physically present at a short distance. Let me repeat that. Lot's wife is taken by the hand by the angels of Christ while Christ is physically present at a short distance away. What am I describing to you? Where else do I have people taken by the hand by the angels of Christ when Christ is a very short distance but physically present? Say, let me just say, in the air, for example. It wasn't. Because, you see, that's the problem we're attempting to unravel. I'm submitting that the taking of Lot's wife, the taking of, of Lot, both of them, is more so applicable to the rapture. Okay? Because I'm saying you're, what we're doing here is discussing two choices. What is rapture? What is return? Who is the rapture 
Uh, who is taken in the rapture? The bride of Christ or the wife of YHVH or the wife of God? So I have Lot and I have Noah. Is one the rapture and the other return? If so, which is which? Does that make sense to you? Next week I'll, I'll pound it some more. That's what we're trying, attempting to work our way through. Is Noah a return reference or a rapture reference? Is Lot a rapture sign or a return sign? You decide. All in favor of saying that Noah is the rapture sign in this particular passage, if the premise of the weird guy that drinks soda during the lecture is correct, how many of you think that Noah is a rapture sign? Never raise your hand here. How many of you think that the Lot reference is a rapture sign. Never, never raise your hand here. I caught you, Marie. <laughs> oh, I got a foot being raised in the back. Trying to circumvent the rules. Because the taking of the bride by Jesus Christ and the return of Christ for the wife of God are two completely different days. So that's why I keep asking, what day is it? I wish I could do the camel voice. I can't. It is not unusual for Jesus, for Christ, to combine these two days. The day that he comes for his bride and the day he comes for his wife. It is not unusual for Christ to combine these two days, as we're going to see next week in Matthew 24. It's exactly what he does in Matthew 24. He combines the two days. He intermingles them. You have to have the wisdom to pick out which day is which. He goes back and forth between these two subjects. He does it all the time. Is that confusing to you? Are you mad at him for doing it that way? People tell me all the time, why doesn't he just spell it out for me? Here's the truth. He does. Absolutely he does. He makes it as clear as a bell. Why don't we see it? What's that word I want? We are this. I can't say that to the internet people because they don't want to insult you. It rhymes with hazy. Crazy. Yeah, we're, we're just absolutely unwilling to put any effort into it. That's what it's all about. We don't seem to care. We want, it, we want to open our mouth and have him stuff it down our throats like we're some kind of little baby bird. And we get mad when he won't tie our shoes and put the Fruit Loops in our mouth. We're frustrated with that. Well, he doesn't do it because that is poor parenting. The object is not to keep you lazy. The object is to get you to grow in wisdom, right? He's doing it for your sake. That's why it's, that. it's not so simple. If it was simple, you would hate it. It's complex. Anything worth doing uh, is difficult. It is not unusual, again, for Christ to combine his two days. The two days are indeed connected. It's absolutely necessary, whenever you're talking about the rapture, to talk about the return. Whenever you see a passage that you think is about the rapture, you need to know something. The return is nearby. They are connected, almost interwoven, but they are different days. So now I want you to mull over which direction you want to travel whilst I raise the remaining quick questions. Let's take a run 
uh, at the taken and the left behind here. So one is taken, one is left behind. One is taken, one is left behind. Two in one bed, one taken, the other left behind. Two grinding, grinding together, one taken, the other left. Which one are you? Are you the one left or the one taken? Is it about you or is it about somebody else? Note that one is a nighttime activity. One's happening at night. That would be the, the two in the bed, right? One is a daytime activity. That's the grinding. And Christ just arbitrarily come up with that delineation? That, of course not. He's God. There's something about the fact that one is night and one is day. That is a fact. And that fact, by the way, has caused considerable division amongst the Bible scholars over the years. So, uh, lower your expectations a little bit here, at least for today. I do not assume that I can overcome centuries of dispute in a couple of Sundays. It's going to take me at least, what, three or four Sundays. Yeah. Thank you for laughing. I'm kidding. Maybe. Obviously, if I were to say one is taken and one is left, most of you would naturally flow to which of these? The return or the rapture? One is taken, one is left. Which one would you assume we're talking about? I would say most of you would flow towards the rapture context, and many scholars have done so. Therefore, they define left as left to destruction. Because what is left after the rapture? Mostly destruction. The tribulation at some point will occur after the rapture, most uh, premillennialists will assert. Or left to their eventual doom, they will say. That's how they define one left. Or what? how they define left. Left to their eventual destruction or doom. Now, we have Noah, Lot, and Lot's wife. Let's go back there a second. They were what? Lot's wife and Lot were what? They were taken and therefore saved from what? Impending judgment. But how about Noah? Was he taken? Lot was taken. Lot's wife was taken. Was Noah taken? Well, Noah was within the judgment. The judgment, he was saturated in it, wasn't he? Marinated in it. But he was saved from it. He wasn't taken. He's still in it, isn't he? He's in the rain. He's in the flood. But he's nonetheless protected by the ark. By the way, the ark is one of the great symbols of Christ's atonement blood in all of Scripture. The word that the, the waterproofing, the pitch, the kafar around the ark is actually the word for blood atonement. So when I think of Noah being protected while the entire world is being destroyed... Who do I think of? The bride or the wife? Israel or the church? Where is Israel during the tribulation? They're in the middle of it, aren't they? How are they doing? Well, if they're in Basra, you might say Petra, but the word would be really be Basra. They are protected. They are more like Noah than they are by Lot. Lot and his wife taken by the hand. Both were saved from judgment. Lot and Noah. That's without dispute, but the judgments were not the same. Now, I've got this guy on the roof. Let's talk about him for a second. He's told what? What's effectively he's told to do? 
What's Christ? Let me read it for you. In that day, he is who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down. What's he supposed to do? Stay on the roof? No, he's supposed to do what? Run. Run. He's told to run. Get off your roof and run. Don't stop to take anything. Run. Run for your life. By the way, what's he doing on his roof? It's nighttime, isn't it? Gotta be. Have you ever been on a roof in the daytime? I have been on lots of roofs in the daytime. That's not a good plan. Not even in Alaska. That's the most miserable work I have done, is being on roofs in the hot daytime. Now, the other is digging foundations in the hot daytime. I have done both many, 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 many times. Why have I done so many of these things? Because I'm an idiot. Do not grow up to be like me. Get a degree in something besides roofing. Foundations, which I did, but I was too foolish to stay with it. Anyway, I got this guy on his roof. He's told to run, get off your roof. He's obviously up there at night. Don't stop. Don't take anything. You don't have time. You've got to get off that roof and run. Where's he going to run to? Why does he have to run? Is he in danger of losing his salvation? Please stop thinking stuff like that. Now, I've got the ones in the field. Don't come back. To your house. Run. This isn't the same as when Israel left Egypt. What happened when they left Egypt? They not only took their possessions, they took all of Egypt's possessions, right? They loaded up. They had semi-trailers. There's no time this time. This day, there isn't any time. And now, remember Lot's wife, the woman taken by the hand. Obviously, she stopped running, didn't she? She not only stopped running, she turned around and started running in the wrong direction, her back. Simple question. What's her motive? Why'd she do it? Did she lose her salvation? Stop it. No, she physically died. Run for your physical life. Remember. Lot's wife. It's a division. It's separating this from this. The question is why? Why did he put it there? It's a demarcation. It's a line. It's a division line. It separates the rooftop and the field people from the bed people and the grinding people. And finally, raptured people, what do they, what do raptured people don't have that the birds... Well, let me put it this way. How many birds eat a raptured person? The answer is none. No bird eats the body of a raptured person. So, what's this about? Next week, we will find out. Have fun. You have enough information now to solve it. You had enough information last week. Now you have more.